All right, so if you would turn in your Bibles this morning, we're going to Second Peter, Second uh, Peter chapter two. We're going to start at. So I don't know why I end up having certain things jump off the page of the Bible to me at certain times while I'm reading. You know, as I've said before, in my own personal devotion life, I started in the book of Genesis and I just keep reading and make my way all the way to the end. And so in my own reading now, I'm in Revelation. When I finish that, I'll go back to Genesis. So, you know, I've been doing this for quite a while, but it's still always fresh, and it's still always alive, and it's still living. And it just blows my mind that God's Word actually is like that. It's not like, you know, you read a novel one, two, three times, and then you kind of got the gist of it. The Word of God, you, you read it and read it and read it and read it, and... The truth doesn't change, but because of where you are and how you're growing and where you are in, in life, uh, it, there's things in here. It's, it's like mining. It's like going to a mine, and you just keep bringing out fresh stuff all the time. And so why certain things hit me as they do, I don't really know. I, uh, I've been reading through... So, so, this, so let, me, uh, let me say it this way. So this time as I've been working my way through... And this is just my own thinking and thought on this. But, it, you know, you start, I'm thinking just right now, New Testament. You start Matthew, and it's the Gospels, and then you get into Acts, and then the church uh, church uh, assemblies are being started, and then Paul writes his different letters to the different people. And, um, and then you hit Hebrews. And for me, once, you, for, once I hit Hebrews, and then you go into James, and then First and Second Peter, First and Second, Third John, Jude and Revelation, it's, it's like things are ramping up. It's, it's, it's almost like, and, and I don't know if this is correct, but this last time as I was reading through it, it's like we're, we're on this gradual progression to the end. And by the time you hit Revelation... You're, you're going full bore because now we're reaching the climax of things and, and God is, is bringing it all to a conclusion. And so as the writers are writing, and I don't know if I'm right on this, but it appears to me, you're going along, you're smooth sailing, and then you hit Hebrews, and we're hitting some persecution, and we're hitting some difficult times. And some people are questioning their faith, and some people are denying Yeshua, who once supposedly believed in him. And so the writers of Hebrews has to kind of delineate some truths. Here's right, here's wrong. Yeshua is alive and uh, living and you're saved, or Yeshua's not alive and well, and why are we bothering anyway? Even the Apostle Paul said, if in this life we only have hope, we are of all people most miserable. So the writers of the Hebrews says, listen, we're going to be facing some difficult times. Already a few people are starting to drop like flies, and so he has to lay down specifics. And then you get into James, and he's writing to those that are scattered abroad. And then you get into Peter, and Peter just kind of really lays it out there. And it's like no more messing around. We can't mess around now. The honeymoon is kind of over. We're at the, we passed the, the hump and we're getting into the home stretch here. And we need to really buckle down. We can't be messing around anymore. So you go through First and P, Second Peter, First and Second, Third John. I love John, especially First John. He is so cut and dry. You're either saved, you're lost. It's right or wrong. You're of God, you're not of God. Uh, you're either a liar or you're truthful. It's either the spirit of error or the spirit of truth. And there's just like no middle ground. And, and I love that. 
Because God's people, as we approach the end when Yeshua comes, we're going to need some guidance. We're going to need some structure. We're going to have to just say, whoa, wait a minute, what's happening here? Then, as, yeah, so 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, we read some of it the other day. It's like, hey, I was just going to, you know, I was going to write this nice letter to you and put it in the post office and it would bless your heart. But, man, things are happening. And he said, now I have to change gears a little bit here. We're going to have to start defending the faith. We need to contend for the faith once for all. Then you mosey on into Revelation, and it's like, wow. So for me, now I've, been go- I've, I've done Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and now I'm into Revelation. And, and if, we're, if we're right on what it seems the whole body of Messiah seems to be sensing, that something is up, it would make sense to me that God would give us in his word kind of, all right, guys, we need to uh, uh, amp up a little bit here. We need to start getting in shape because this is what we're going to be facing. So in the midst of all this, as I'm reading this, this word many jumped out at me. And we'll see it in Second Peter and several other verses. So this is going to be like a topographical message. But I, I kind of want it, if I can use this terminology, to scare the bejesus out of you. You know, to just see that this is really, really important, serious stuff, what we're doing. And Luke and I, primarily Luke because he's the leader, I'm with him, but it's our responsibility to get the flock, whatever it is, if it's just our family or those who want to straggle along with us or whoever may come, to get the, the flock together in shape and ready for what is coming. And so that's what I want to look at this morning. So, the first passage we're going to look at is in 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're just going to read um, all 22 verses because I want us to have the setting, and then we're going to go into some other passages as well. So we'll be doing a lot of reading today. I'll try to read slowly and clearly so that you can follow along, uh, and then I'll try to make my points. All right, so 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds." The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, 
self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. But these, and I notice how he just really just kind of opens up the wound here. But these are natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with the man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet." These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Amen! I don't know about you, but I love it. Here's somebody under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, obviously, but here's somebody that's not afraid to say, listen folks, we're up against it. There's a lot of stuff that is happening here, and it's not good, and you need to be on guard, because, verse 1, but there were false prophets also among the people, That's connecting us to chapter 1. Even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring in on themselves swift destruction. Now here's the problem. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. I'm concerned about the many that are going to follow these people. And it's happening. If you sit back and you just kind of be a fly on the wall of Christianity and then this Hebraic root movement thing that we're involved in, you have to just step back and wonder what in the world is going on. Now, the word pernicious, just in the dictionary, um, I can't read anything in here, that means malignant, damaging, harmful, injurious, destructive, deathly, fatal. Now, I would have thought it would have said in verse 2, and there's just be, be calm, it's all right, only a few are going to follow them. But that's not the way it works. Many 
end up following. These people that bring in destructive heresies, draw people after themselves, away from the flock that God had placed them in, so that they can make merchandise of them. They're going to profit for themselves, for their own ministries, and they're going to turn a whole bunch of people now to have to look to them rather than the shepherd of the flocks where they're attending. And we live in that today. You know, I, I heard one of my Messianic guys that I really liked say years ago, he said, trying to speak to the leaders in the Messianic movement, we're doing the same thing all over again. We're building these ministries. Now we have people looking to us. We need finances coming in. We're, we're writing, we're, we're teaching, and we're building our own little ministries all over again where people are becoming dependent upon us. And that's what I'm afraid is happening. And I think we need to be guarded about that. All right, let's turn to another one. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. I've said in the past, when I read things like this that seem to be very hard and I guess in ways negative, I appreciate it. I've always come to this book and said, all right, it's written for me. I am the recipient of this. Say the original, one of the original ones that reads this original or hears read the original reading. How would I respond? What would I think? What would be my initial attitude towards what I am hearing? And I always appreciate the fact that God loves me enough to tell me not just the good flowing things like your sins are forgiven when you come to Yeshua, you've been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus, you're secure in Him, uh, He's your Savior, He makes intercession for you, the Holy Spirit lives within you, this book that was dead is now alive, He's coming again, you're going to live with Him forever. That's the great stuff. There's the other stuff, though, that he says he needs to warn us, just like a parent has to warn a child. I wish you could just tell every child to go out and play, and they wouldn't go run in the street. But what's the first thing a child does? It just immediately goes to where it's not supposed to go. Right? It's just built in. We do this. Well, we're no different as the children of God. We're just going to still go and want to eat that fruit we're not supposed to. We're still going to want to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil rather than just pick the fruit we're supposed to eat. It's just part of that Adamic nature. So God, as any parents, you know, puts an arm around the child, loves him, and says, listen, you can't do this if you run out there. I mean, we had this with Koi in Florida. The ball went out into the road, and, you know, thankfully uh, Judy's dad was alert because Koi was running after the ball, and we're packing a car or whatever he's doing. He, he stops and gets them. You know, you tell the kid, Okay, you don't want to do that because if you run out after that ball and a car comes, you're going to be splat. Well, you can't assume the child is going to either remember that or think to obey his parent because there's going to be a second time. And so the parent now has to exhibit a little bit more force and pressure and whatever else because though the child may not be wanting to disobey, they forget. Or sometimes they just say, oh, Dad, you know, when you start having little kids, they don't know what they're talking about. Bam. So my point of bringing all this up is I want us to see the fact that God loves us enough to start telling us some of the hard things we need to hear to prepare a people that is actually going to be ready for Yeshua to come. All right, so Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. 
Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware, now here comes a warning with this, I, I just love this. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So that's the Lord Jesus, uh, Yeshua, talking, and he's telling us, you know, there's a choice. There's two paths to go down. And sadly, only a few find it, and the many go off in the wrong direction. And that is something I still don't understand. Why is there something innate in people that want to resist God's way and go their own way? God has given us in his word the path. Yeshua said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But yet, there's all these other ways to get to God. I can remember talking with my grandfather uh, before he passed away, many years before he passed away. We were sitting outside. He was a Roman Catholic, but not practicing, hadn't stepped foot in church forever. But we're sitting out there, and I was trying to witness to my grandfather, tell him about the need of salvation. And he, he started with, you know, Warren, there's many roads that lead to Hartford. As long as you can take one of those roads that leads to Hartford, you're going to get there. And I said, yeah, Grandpa, that's great if you're going to Hartford. <laughs> but that's not great if you're going to heaven. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you don't come by works, you come by faith. Well, why is it that only a few get that? And many don't. That just breaks my heart. I probably ought to get off script. So I was telling Luke, what we as God's people need to realize is we walk amongst dead people. Okay, you just have to follow me here. Paul said that before we come to Yeshua, we are dead in trespasses and sins. And it's really dead. And so... I don't know why, but especially when I have to drive through Man Manchester sometimes and see what I see. It hit me the other day that what Paul, the Apostle Paul said is true. We're, we're surrounded by dead men walking. Right? I mean, we were all dead in our trespasses. I mean, we were spiritually dead. And it's probably not a good way to illustrate it, but I was telling Luke, I said, you know, I think it probably was watching an X-File episode where Mulder's looking at somebody, but then it has a moment of clarity and sees that person's really a zombie. You know, there's a walking, living person, but it's really a zombie. They're dead. Well, that's what we have to see all around us. That people without Christ, I, I keep going back and forth, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, all that. Please bear with me. But we need to see people that are without Christ as lost. 
dead in trespasses and sins, and already walking as dead people so that our hearts will be burdened and broken for them to be willing to get out of the complacency of our own spiritual condition and start reaching out to try to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ and the need for salvation. How many times do we bump shoulders back and forth between people all day long, myself included, who are lost, who are dead men walking, but yet we're too timid, too afraid, don't even think about trying to witness to them and tell them about Christ. It's not the first thing out of our mouths. When I got saved back in 1973, it was probably the last of the heyday of, of, of uh, being very evangelistic evangelistic and soul-winning minded. I mean, you carry tracks in your pocket, which I've tried to start doing and not done very well, but you're looking for opportunities to witness to people, to talk to people about Jesus. I can remember I was working at Pratt Whitney. I'm just recently saved. Of course, I got to have all kinds of fire. I'm just fired up. You know, and, and I was trained to be a machine repairman, and so they sent me out with different people. Me, I was just waiting for a, a break in the discussion to say, so, do you go to church anywhere? And just start the avenue of realizing this fella who I'm walking, uh, working next to, he is dead in trespasses and sins. And if he dies without Christ and salvation, he's going to hell. I look for opportunities to make that message known. Why? Because many, 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 many people are going to die without Christ. And there's only a few that find it. And for many people, we are that last vestige of hope that they have before they plummet off into eternity. We can't save people. We can't. It's not by our argument. It's not by being able to just word everything just perfectly. It's, it's not the Romans road if you just follow this all the way down and get the person to ask Jesus into their heart. You know, it's, it's, it, we can't do this. However... God will use us to be that vessel that intercedes between heaven and hell. And we need to be that people. We need to be them. You know, we need to have the passion like the Lord Jesus had to say, listen, here's a great illustration. You can see it visually. Wow, there's a Broadway. There's a gazillion people going there. Here's a few of these guys over here. They're just trying to squeeze on through, but they're making it. And then he talks about the false prophets that are going to be trying to keep them from going through that narrow gate. All right, so um, let's look at another one. Let's turn to um, John chapter 6. We're focusing on the many, and I want us to grab a hold of this because... We are a part of the few. God has always had a remnant. I don't understand it. Why did I get saved? Why did God reach down out of heaven and, and draw me to himself where my, as far as I know, my mom and dad and my, my grandparents and all my relatives that came before me, I don't know of a one that was saved. I don't understand this. But I'm burdened by the fact that there's two groups, the many and the few. All right, let's look at this one. This is very interesting. Um, one thing I like about Yeshua is he really, he does things wrong, quote unquote. You know, if you're going to build a ministry and get a following, he just really blows it all over the place. And this happens right here, and I want us to see this. So Matthew, uh, where do I say, sorry, John chapter 6, 
And uh, let's start at verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is a bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that uh, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, and the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. For there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? <coughs> then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it is that should betray him, being one of the twelve. I mean, I don't know how you, how that hits you, but verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more. Then he turns to the twelve and says, you're going to go away too? You know, I don't know how, what emotions to come to that with. I know if it's me, and I'm saying this, and it's happened to me. I preach a hard sermon, and it's just people get offended, and it's like, we're not going back there anymore. You know, then you start to wonder, because, you know, pastoring 18 years, you start wondering, okay, you upset a few people who know a few people who know a few people. Now what's going to happen? And then you just want to say, are the rest of you going to go away too? You know, I've loved you all along. I've done the best I can. I'm talking about Yeshua. You know, never, Yeshua never let him astray. You know, and he's turning around to his disciples that are staying. You guys going to... You know, hike, hike out of here too. The many. Interesting, not that this really matters, but it's John chapter 6, verse 66, if you want to remember that verse. It's 666. <laughs> many, many. Uh, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. 
I don't know. I, I, I was laying in bed this morning thinking, Warren, what's your point in saying all this? I, I wish I had like a cohesive point. I don't know what the point is. I just want us to realize there's a many and there's a few. And we need to find out where we are among the many and the few. And be aware that it really boils down to there's just two streams. The seed of God or the seed of Satan. All right, uh, let's move on. Okay, so let's go to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 18. Now this gets into, we're moving along, now end time stuff is going to be brought to our attention. All right, 1 John 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. And I, I, I don't know if I'm right on this, but I think it's interesting. Those whom he describes as Antichrist are the ones that were actually a part of the assembly but left, Right? Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I don't know if it means just necessarily they're leaving the assembly as much as they're leaving Yeshua. That's that's the, the, the heartbreak of this. Uh, verse 19, but they went... Uh, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But, 20, ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is a promise that he hath promised, even us, uh, promised us even eternal life. <clears throat> These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. And it goes on and on. Um, but again, we have this idea of many, and it's here in verse, uh, it's, uh, where's my verses here, verse uh, 18, it's many little children, it's the last time, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby you know it's the last time. I don't know what to do with that. I just don't know what to do with that. I probably have to be careful with this, but I recently came across uh, somebody that I, I knew for many years that now has, who claimed to be a believer, that now has turned his back completely on this, you know, and no longer believes there is a God and no longer believes, you know, he was saved or that any of it's real. You know, how does this happen? I don't know. You know, was he saved? I would have said yes. Somebody, somehow, somewhere, something happens that enters in 
and draws people away from the truth. I mean, we've had it in our own congregation where somebody denies, totally turns around and denies Yeshua. You know, listening to one of my other favorite Messianic preachers, and he's talking about the same thing because he's gone through Hebrews and, and basically the warning of the writer of Hebrews saying, listen, you have to be careful. <laughs> There's a race to be run. And those that are truly the children of God, they make it to the end of the race. And those that aren't, don't. What do we do with that? I don't know. All right, Matthew chapter 7. Just a couple more and we'll be certain. I'll try to wrap it up. Matthew chapter 7. All right, verse 21. This is one of my favorite ones. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, there it is, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, Depart from me, ye that work Torahlessness. That's a word for iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. You know, I guess I really do know what it is that I'm trying to get across, and I guess I'm just too afraid to say it. Folks, if you're listening to me on this thing, on the, on the line, or those of us that are here, you need to know if you're saved or not. I, I just don't know how else to say it. The warning is, are you really saved? Are you born again? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Has there been a time when you came to Christ and, and you know that you were transformed and translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son, that, that you went from darkness to light? This is what we have to buckle down on. I don't want us to have people in our Messianic congregations or our Christian churches that because we're too afraid to confront and bring up uncomfortable topics such as this, that we are populated with unsaved people. You know, that person I know that turned his back on Yeshua, I don't really know that from when I first met him. Did I really press it? Hey, Tell me about your salvation. How did you get saved? You know, when was it? Where was it? Do you remember it? And I don't mean you have to know date tight and date stamp and all that. But folks, I'm asking you, do you know if you're saved or not? Are you part of the many or the few? Are you in error or are you in truth? Are you going to the narrow gate or the wide gate? <sighs> and the scary thing is, if we look at Matthew 7, when it gets down to it, and people stand, these people are standing before the Lord, and, and he says, many are going to say unto me, I've done these works, and they really can say it. 
evidently face to face to Yeshua, believing that they preached, prophesied, and did miracles. And you think Jesus would say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm glad I caught you just before the end here. Are you sure you don't want to reconsider? <laughs> Let me take you over here. I can take you through the Romans road real quick. You know, you can pray that prayer. <laughs> He, he doesn't do that, right? This is what blows my mind. And we're too afraid of being abrasive. There's heaven and hell at stake. And what does he say? I never knew you. Depart from me. Because you lived your life Torahless. Evidently the truth was there. And these are the people that are preaching, doing miracles and healings he's talking to. Not just Joe Schmuck on the side of the road. And our problem, I'm getting, I didn't want to get like this, but our stinking problem is in our churches and in our messianic movements, because somebody comes in and they say the Shema and they have a Bible and, and they can look Jewish, well, surely they're saved. And they're not sometimes. And shame on me, shame on Luke if we go on from this point and allow people to come and we're, we're too afraid to ask them if they're saved. In the old building a couple years ago, you know, I, 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 and it's a whole lot easier when you're not the, the leader, you know, because I don't have to deal with it. So back then, it's like this is cool. I can just create problems, and Glenn will have to take care of it. <laughs> but you know, we have people coming in, and this one particular fellow came in, and I was excited to see him. Um, and so I said to him, I said, you know, after the service. So I said, oh, so glad to have you. You know, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Well, I've been baptized. Well, I said, no, that's great, but was there ever a time when, when you realized that you were lost, dead in trespasses and sins, and that the only way of, of, of uh, forgiveness is through Jesus Christ, and, and you trusted? I'm trying to throw out all the, I'm trying to help the guy. You know, give him all the lingo. I've been baptized. I try, I thought, I'll try one more time. And I use some more lingo, and it's like I'm trying to lead him along. I'm trying to help him to tell me, yes, I'm saved, to get, just get me off his back. And I finally go through it all again, and he was so confused. And his eyes were like saucers, and he said, I don't know what to tell you. I've been baptized. Now, are you comfortable with that answer? I'm not comfortable with that answer. I mean, I'm glad he's baptized. But... That's not the salvation that I know of. Ask me if I'm saved. Or you say, yes, I'm saved. Well, do you know? Yeah, I got saved back in 73. Well, what happened? And I can give you the whole litany in the back. You know, you've heard the story over and over. I know I'm saved. Because God's word says the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He comes and lives and resides within us. Do you know the spirit of God lives and resides inside of you? We can't mess with it. And this is why people got upset with Jesus and his own disciples, a group that were huddled around him. Many go away. Why? That's a hard saying. It didn't seem so hard to me when I read it, but it just blew people out of the water. And they said, well, enough of that guy. Was, you know, I'm going to go over here where you know, they t say nice things to me. They don't make me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, you got my point. This is serious stuff. And, and, and I, I guess I, 
try to do as I did in the ministry. I just don't want to hurt anybody. I want us to all get along, and I don't want to say the hard things. And I'm standing up here battling myself because I'm doing it all over again. And I'm not going to. Can't do it. There's a many and a few. The lost and the saved. There's a heaven and a hell. All right, let's close with this. Let's go to Matthew 20. All right, Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to start at verse 1, and we will read to verse 16, all right? So chapter 1 to verse, uh, verse 1, chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. So Yeshua is given like an illustration here, so everybody can, you know, his hearers can connect to this. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about uh, the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they were come that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last. Why? For many be called, but few chosen. It's a theological conundrum, isn't it? Many are called, few chosen. How do you deal with that theologically? Not a clue. Not a clue. You know, Spurgeon said about the sovereignty of God, the, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man uh, run out, are like the, the, the tracks, two tracks running alongside, off in the distance somehow they merge. That's the mind of God. Uh, Ian Paisley, who, who was something in, in Northern Ireland, Belfast, he was in the politics, some of you might have heard of him. He was always stirring trouble. Uh, he used to come and speak at our university and... Um, uh, he was a staunch Calvinist, uh, meaning in, he believed in an election, um, predestination, all that, and I do too. But he was a staunch Calvinist. God's chosen some to be saved and some not. 
that I don't know what to do with that. But he said, my job is to preach the gospel, to get the gospel message out there. And the whosoever will, will come. And that's what we have to do. Because many are called. You know, you, you might be listening, whoever you are hearing me, and maybe God's dealing with your heart and he's calling. But the truth of the matter is, many are called and few are chosen. Which means, evidently, on the one side, they hear, they don't respond. You know, because if, if somebody doesn't respond, how then do you choose them? I, I wish I could figure this out. I can't, and God probably doesn't want us to. But our responsibility is to get the gospel message out there. That's what we're here for. It's not to come here and feel warm and fuzzy over the Hebrew language. It's not to come here and feel warm and fuzzy all about we're feeling very Jewish. The point is we are here to assemble as God's people, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to have this as an avenue where we can at least in here preach and teach the word of God and edify and build us up and see people saved and then go out into this world, in the workaday world, strengthened because we met together, we've seen God work, maybe somebody gets saved, and now we're going to go out there just strengthened in our inner man to live for God out in the world and not forget him from one Shabbat to the next Shabbat, that we actually go with God and take him with us. And we're looking for opportunities to talk to people. And as we look at them and just see them as walking dead people that need salvation. This is what it's about. It's part of the reason I left Christianity in my own church. We're just... What are we doing? <laughs> Building churches. You know, oh gosh, 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 gosh. I mean, guess there's nothing wrong with that. But the early church, I mean, what, they met in houses. Yeshua dies basically on a cross alone. Paul says everybody forsook him. You know, there's just a handful of believers meeting together. I think that's what it's about, right? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Um, This was a weird message for me to preach. It's not usually like this, as you know. But this thing of the many and the few has just been weighing on me. The fact that there's just two paths, truth and error, heaven and hell, the spirit of God or the spirit of Antichrist. I mean, there's just no way to get around it. There's just, like, no middle ground. And I thank you for, like, uh, John and his writings. He's just so cut and dry. And, Father, I do believe as we get near the end, we, we cannot be messing around. There's a lot at stake. I mean, every one of us here has loved ones that are lost. Family members. People that we work with. And why is it we, we just aren't burdened over that? Why is it we can just rub shoulders with walking dead people all day long and never share the words of life? Even Yeshua said he's the living manna that came down from heaven. It wasn't what they were eating back in the wilderness. He's the living bread. He's the source of life. And we have him residing within us and we don't share him Help us, Father, to see the many and the few. In Yeshua's name, amen.